And the title of this morning's message is called Dive Sight. And so as we go on vacations, we, we usually end up going to where I want to go, which is Mexico and the beaches of Mexico. And I love to go scuba diving. I love to go beneath the surface. And I love to go deep into the water. And, and I kind of got a, a, a taste for this. Have you ever been snorkeling? If you've been snorkeling, kind of lift your hand. And you just get a, a topside view of everything that's underwater. But you know, when I had the topside view of everything that was underwater, I saw a few people who decided to not just look beneath the surface of the water, but decided to really go deep. Decided not just to look and admire the beauty, but be right down there with the fish, the coral reefs, with everything that goes on, all the amazing sights you get to see. You get to see it up top, but you get to experience it down below. And as we were designing this series, that began to come to the forefront as we're wanting to grow deeper spiritually in the things of God that we want you to dive in with us. We want you to go below the surface of everything you've ever thought about Scripture and everything that you've ever dreamed or even thought was possible with Scripture. And so the reason we must dive is this, is because there's more to the Bible than meets the eye. There's a whole other world under the surface of the Bible that you read as you just read it at face value. And we want to get below the surface. We want to get to the deep parts where we can experience it. Another reason is the environment above the water is different than the environment below the water. The environment above the water, you don't need a goggle and air tanks and everything. This is Scuba Steve for the series, and Scuba Steve's got his backpack on, he's got his vest on, he's got his BCD on, he's got his tank here, he's got his flippers on, he's got his goggle, he's got his snorkel, and he's got everything that he needs to go below the water because the environment below the water is different than the environment above the water. And what I mean by that, the environment that we were raised in the Western culture is so different than first century Jesus Jewish culture that a lot of times we just get knowledge of the word, but we don't gain experience with the word. And we want you to gain an experience with the word. And finally, that is the final point. Seeing the things will help you obtain knowledge. Experiencing them will help you change your life. I remember the first time I went scuba diving. I went with two tanks. You go on a two-tank dive, you go down with the first tank. And the first time you go diving, you should be down there 35, 45 minutes if you're really good, you can make your, your oxygen last a little bit longer. Then you got to come back to the top. 20 minutes, I was out of air, dude. I was like, <gasps> you know, just breathing hard and heavy, and you just suck all the oxygen out of your tank. But the second time you went down, you realized how to control things. You realized how to slow your breathing down. And when you could quit worrying about the environment around you, you could experience a whole new world under the surface and that's what we want to do here at the way bible church we want to experience a whole new world that's under the surface so the title of this message is called dive site this is the place where the boat stops and you get out of your comfort zone and jump into a world that's unknown the two people we're going to talk about today had their circumstances in their lives which made them go into a world that was unknown to them but once they experienced this new world with christ they were never the same when you found luke chapter number eight and verse 40 stand with me as we read the word of god and it says now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting him. And there was a man there named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And as Jesus went, the people pressed or crushed in all around him, is the literal term there. Verse 43 goes on to say, And there was a woman who had a, a discharge of blood. The King James Version says issue of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her life savings on her possessions, they could not heal her. And no one could heal her, as a matter of fact. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately, her discharge of blood had ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? 
Everyone around denied it. And Peter said, Master, the crowds are surrounding you and they are pressing in all about you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me for I have perceived that power has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched Jesus and how she had been made immediately clean. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler's house, Jairus' house, and said, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing the servants, answered him and said, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except the big three, Peter, James, and John, and the father mo- child and the mother of the child. And they were all weeping and mourning. But Jesus said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. But they all laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called her, saying, Child, arise. And at that moment, her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged, he charged them to tell no one what had happened. I'm going to set the stage for you guys this morning. There's, two, there's a big scene of everything going on here. And basically what has happened is Jesus was in a place called Capernaum. Jesus did the majority of his miracles in this city called Capernaum. It wasn't a very big city, but it was a, a city that was kind of thriving nonetheless. And so he went to this city the first time and healed a demonic man. And then the demonic man said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, no, I want you to go and tell what God has done for you. And so Jesus left the city, but when he came back to the city, it says we started out and Jesus returned, there was crowds of people waiting on him. So the man who God had healed of the evil spirits or the demonic spirits did his job. He went and told everybody. And the stories began to spread like wildfire across the area. So when Jesus came back across the sea and landed at Capernaum, hundreds and thousands of people were waiting on him to get there. And this is where the scene begins to take place as Jesus gets out of the boat. He walks on the land and the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, a Pharisee who was well known for discounting Jesus, discrediting Jesus, actually trying to shut the ministry of Jesus down because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and you weren't supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. Jesus had done things that were against their pharisaical law or their interpretation of it. And so Jesus gets there, and this guy who had been adamantly opposed to him, basically, if you could think about the person who likes you the very least in your life and who you are not too fond of yourself, you get out of your car at work, and they run to your feet, and they fall down and say, I need your help. (laughs) Oh, what, you got a decision to make. Jesus knew that Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. He was the leading Pharisee in the whole city. And Jesus knew that this man had adamantly opposed him. And Jesus knew all these things about Jairus and his family. And when Jairus ran back and fell at the feet of Jesus, Jesus had a decision to make. Also, Jairus had a crisis of belief that he had to understand. Jairus has to make a decision. He had a crisis of belief. And now does he believe in the religion that he has served all these years and risk his career, his family, his religion, and his faith? Or does he run to Jesus and put faith in Jesus Christ, the only one who has the ability to heal his daughter? He says, I'm in a crisis of belief. There are some times in your life where you have a crisis of belief, where something crazy, catastrophic happens in your life, and you've got to choose to believe Jesus like you've never believed him before, or do you go back to the old church way you've just believed Jesus at church on Sunday morning in your holiness and your holier-than-thou attitude? See, Jairus had to throw off all the religion, all the stereotypes, all the stuff that he was known as a Pharisee for and just call upon the name of Jesus, the only one who could save him and the only one who could help him. 
And so as Jairus runs and falls at his feet, he says, Jesus, come and save my daughter. And as Jesus agrees to go and save his daughter, he starts walking with Jairus. And the irony of this is a woman who was unclean came and touched the fringe of Jesus' garment. And she was immediately healed. And the irony is this. The woman who was unclean and not even supposed to be at the feet of Jesus, but could have and should have by the law been healed by Jairus, both find themselves at a place of desperation at Jesus' feet. And I wonder, and this is just me reading into it, so don't go out and say this actually happened, is if Jairus was walking and the woman with the issue of blood touched the fringe of Jesus' garment and as she was walking away trying to hide and Jesus calls her out and says, who touched me? If her and Jairus ever caught eyes and Jairus realizing I should have did what Jesus did for this woman who had been an issue of blood for 12 years and then Jairus still in need himself begins to turn and call on the name of Jesus like never before. Now we're going to get into the actual message where I want us to get to this morning we're going to leave the part of Jairus for a little bit and we're going to talk about this woman the woman with the issue of blood and the Bible says in verse 43 and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood the King James Version says an issue of blood for 12 years and though she had spent all of her living on physicians she could be healed by no one the Bible says she had an issue of blood so her issue was her bleeding problem everybody in this room has an issue And if you don't think you have an issue, that's your issue. You don't think you have one. Everybody has an issue. Her issue was a discharge of blood that couldn't be stopped. My issue is this. Your issue may be this. But here's the thing. She had an issue of blood. And let me tell you a little bit about what bound her with this issue of blood. And the Bible says this in Leviticus chapter number 15. We're going to begin to discuss why the woman who wasn't even supposed to be at the feet of Jesus ended there. And the Bible says in Leviticus 15, 25, it says, If a woman has a discharge of blood or an issue of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanliness as the days of her impurity. She shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be unclean. And she, she shall be and, and she shall be as her on her bed of her impurity, and everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanliness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever even touches these things shall be considered unclean. And she shall and shall wash the clothes and bathe herself in water and be unclean until that evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. Let me tell you the dire straits that this woman was in. This woman, as long as she had this issue, she could not come inside the city gates. She was banished outside of the city gates for over 12 years alone. She could not see her husband. She could not see her kids. She could not see her family because she was considered unclean. She could not even begin to approach the city, the tabernacle, the place for God to begin to touch her because she was considered unclean. Do you understand the the direness of her situation and the desperateness of deep down in her heart? And she even spent all her money, every bit of her life savings on doctors, and they couldn't make her well. She was very much at the end of her rope, and she could go no further. This meant she would not even been able to participate in anything of the Jewish culture. So this woman being made unclean, she couldn't touch anything. She couldn't touch anyone. If she did herself was unclean everyone she touched was unclean the tabernacle was unclean the synagogue was unclean and according to even the law when she touched the fringe of Jesus's garment Jesus should have been made unclean now that even doesn't make sense to us when she touched the fringe of his garment 
Jesus should have been made unclean. But Jesus is greater than the law. Jesus even said, I didn't come to abolish the law. The law is good. God made the law. He didn't come to abolish it. He said, I've come to fulfill every part of it being greater than it. So when she touched Jesus, instead of it making him unclean, it had the exact reverse effect. The power, instead of of sin flowing into Jesus, had the exact opposite effect. The power of the kingdom flowed into her. Now, how did this happen? Here's where we're going to have our dive point, where we go dig a little bit deeper. And the Bible says she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. I want to talk to you this term about fringe of his garment. A lot of us, when we read this, we think of a regular bathrobe, and you have the hem around the bottom of it. And a lot of people think, oh, she just must have grabbed the bottom of his robe. Let me tell you the depth of what this woman was doing and how well-versed she really was in the true scriptures of God. Because the Bible says that when she touched the fringe of his garment, the discharge of her blood immediately ceased. Listen to this. Jesus being a Jewish rabbi, of the, not just the, the, uh, a regular rabbi, but one that could actually change the current day interpretation of the law. That high ranking of a rabbi understood the scriptures better than the woman did. So Jesus had this prayer robe on, prayer shawl on, and at the bottom of the prayer shawl, they had tassels. And the Bible says this in Numbers 38, 39. Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garment throughout all their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel on each corner. And it shall, and it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember the commandments of God. The tassel itself represented the word of God. The tassel itself on the end was a representation of the authoritative word of God. That tassel is really called this. It's called a titzith. A titzith, which literally means the current translation is fringe. And the Bible says she touched the fringe of his garment or she touched the titzith of Jesus' robe. The authoritative word of God that Jesus carried on him, she grabbed a hold of it. And so when she grabbed a hold of the authoritative word of God, The Bible declares that the commandments of God or the commandments of the Lord are called a mitzvah, which is the authoritative word of God. Let me tell you how important this is. The authoritative word of God is not a rule or regulation over your life. A lot of people read the Bible as a book of I can't do this and I can't do that. This is my law. This is what holds me back in life. In fact, the law is just the opposite. The word of God, the authoritative word of God is just the opposite. The authoritative word of God empowers you to go forth and be all you're called to be. It doesn't limit you in any way, shape, and form. So in this process, the woman who at the issue of blood ran up to Jesus, she grabbed the titzith of his robe, the authoritative word of God of his robe, and let me Read you this story out of 1 Samuel. The Bible says this, and this will display the power of this tassel, this tetzit, this fringe of his garment. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 24, verse 2, Then Saul took 3,000 men, chosen out of all of Israel, and went to seek out David in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by where, the, where there was a cave, and Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. Have your own interpretation of that, whatever you want to think. Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. So Saul went about 20 feet in. David and his men were in the back part of the cave. And now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here it is the day on which the Lord said unto you, 
Behold, I will give you your enemies into your hands, and you shall do unto him as it seems good to you. So David arose, and I like this term, so David arose stealthily and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. But listen to this. Do you remember the robe I was just talking to you about? The robe that he had on, they had the tetzith at the bottom. It's at the fringe, it's at the bottom corner of the front part of the robe. The Bible says David rose and cut off that part of the robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And David said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my Lord the king. The Lord's anointed to put my hand against him, seeing he is God's anointed one. So David persuaded his men with these words that they not permit to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Listen to what I'm talking about here. Saul was sitting in the cave, and as he was sitting in the cave, the corner of his robe was out there. The tetzith was on it. And David snuck up and cut off the corner of his robe, which represented the authoritative word of God. David, the second he cut the robe, his heart convicted him, and he said this, Far be it from me that I should touch the anointed of God and his anointed one. Did you catch the way David phrased that? He didn't just say, far be it that I touch Saul. He said, far be it that I touch the anointed one of God and his anointed one. The, the anointing of God was on his life because he was wearing the anointing of God. And so as he began to cut right there, as he cut the corner of that robe off, he realized this. He realized that he was not putting his hand against Saul. He was putting his hand against God himself. I need you to understand this this morning. When you begin to talk about things and talk about scripture in an unlearned way and begin to discuss things and begin to throw out your opinion of other ministries and other things going on and you begin to talk about things that we have no business talking about sometimes. You're not putting your hand against the person. You're putting your hand against the one God has anointed or God's anointing itself. When people came up to criticize Jesus, they were not criticizing Christ. They were criticizing God himself. And so Saul, when he was in the cave and David cut that robe off, David realized he had touched the authoritative word of God which he was under. And in your life, what have you been touching that may be causing you distress? That may be putting you in a place of vulnerability? David realized, and as soon as he realized, he repented. And as soon as Saul left the cave, he runs out after Saul and says, Saul, see, I could have killed you this day. But because you're God's anointed, he didn't do it. Now let me explain it in current situation where we're talking about with the woman of issue of blood. The woman with the issue of blood would have known the story of David. She would have rehearsed it in her mind over and over. She would have had this going through her head time and time and time again. And she was understanding that the authoritative word of God can change anything. And as if the authoritative word of God can change anything, your circumstances, my circumstances, because that's how you got born again, the authoritative word of God manifested in your life, things begin to change. And as David said, far be it from, for me to touch God and his anointed, she said just the exact opposite. If I touch the hem of his garment, if I touch the teachers, the authoritative word of God on the anointed man wearing it, I'll be healed. She said the exact opposite. See, because hers was in a different situation. 
God wants you to grab onto the authoritative word of God. He wants it to touch your life. He wants it to change you immediately. He wants it to manifest in your life like you've never experienced it before. The woman with the issue of blood had every reason not to, and she did it anyway. David had every reason to, and he realized he shouldn't. Get this. The woman with the issue of blood, she ran up to Jesus and the crowds, the Bible says the crowds were pressing into true. When you break that down into the original writing, it says the crowds were actually crushing him. They were pressing in so hard. And listen, she said, all I got to do is I got to just touch this garment. Because she knew that where that tassel hung, and it was hanging right down here towards the bottom of his leg, he, she knew that where it hung, if I just touch it, that represents the authoritative word of God. That same word of God that in Genesis 1-1, he said, light be in the heavens and the earth were created in the first seventh day. That authoritative word of God that when Moses went up on the mountain and got the Ten Commandments, he got it from God and he was in the cloud of glory. If I touch that, the authoritative word of God, I know something's going to change in my life. See, she wasn't just going to say, oh, if I could just run up and I could just touch Jesus like a celebrity. See, a lot of us approach Jesus like he's a celebrity. And oh, we want to worship at his feet and we want to get his autograph. You got to realize Jesus is the authoritative word of God made flesh. And he doesn't want you to just go up and get his autograph. He wants to give you his autograph on your heart where he writes his name on your heart and you grab a hold of that authoritative word of God like never before. The issue in the church today, we're not willing to press in and grab a hold of the authoritative word of God. We want God to come touch us. I want you to start going and touching God. We want God to come and fill this place. No, I want us to go into the presence of God. We say heaven come down, and I want heaven to come down only because it's because we've reached up and grabbed a hold of it and are pulling it into this place and watching God do a miracle among us. I want you to realize this morning that there is still power in the authoritative word of God. The last point I want to talk to you about this morning before I end this message is this. The power, and Jesus said, and Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Who touched me? The disciples look at him like, Jesus, you crazy. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Do you see all these people, literally, they're crushing you, and you're saying, who touched you? He said, no, 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 no. Somebody drew power out of me. Oh, Lord Jesus, if that was in a day before Jesus was crucified and resurrected and the promise of the Holy Spirit hasn't yet manifested and a woman who was unclean, not even supposed to be there, could make her way through a crowd and touch the fringe of his garment and draw power out of the anointed one, how much more in today, in the year 2014, with the promise of the Holy Spirit and all the power of God accessible to us, should we not reach in and grab a hold? And Jesus said, power's going out in this church. I'm telling you, let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. And Jesus looked around and he said, power's gone out of me. He wasn't mad, get this. He looked around to recognize faith and what it looked like. And as he looked around, the woman came back before him trembling because she's still submissive to the authoritative word of God. And when the authoritative word of God said, who touched me? She was bound to respond because she's a woman of faith. 
And as she was bound in her heart to respond, she went before Jesus trembling. She said, I did. And I'm sure that everyone in the community just then realized who it was, like, oh, unclean. (laughs) And she said, I had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and the minute I touched that garment, that teaseth, what represented the authoritative word of God, that was being worn by the word of God in the flesh, it immediately dried up, immediately. And what did Jesus do? He commended her. He said, your faith has healed you. Go, You're you're not unclean anymore. Be made clean. You are clean. So she's standing there, grabbing a hold of the authoritative word of God. Jesus addresses her. At that time, the crowd comes running, and and Jairus' servants come running and say, Jairus, Jairus, she's dead. Quit bothering the teacher now. He's dead. I love the way one version of the Bible says it. Jesus looks at Jairus and says, Don't say a word. Only believe. Jairus, you just saw faith of a woman who shouldn't have been here, who is unclean, who made everybody else unclean, touching all the way down. And I believe this. It's not written there, and this is the gospel according to Joel, that not only when she touched it and was made clean, everybody else who she touched was made clean as well. So she said, I touched it, I'm healed, I'm made clean. Jairus gets the news, your daughter is dead. Jesus looks at him and says, shut up. (laughs) Don't say a word. Just believe. Because the Bible says out of the abundance of what you believe in your heart, your mouth speaks. So Jesus said, just shut up. Don't say a word, Jairus. I got this. A lot of us need to listen to that word from Jesus. Joel, just shut up. I got this. Quick side note story. I remember when we were trying to sell the old building on the corner of North Davis and Glover Street. We were within days of closing. and We'd been praying about this. And it was about to fall through because something crazy had happened. And it was about to fall through. And I was mad. I was mad at this church that was renting the building from us. I was mad at the, the, how, how they didn't abide the stuff that they said. They were. I, I was just mad at everything. And I was just fixing to call Sherry and vent and go off and just tell her what I thought about everything. And, and, and this is just unbelievable. And God said, Joel, shut up. I got this. I, I mean, y'all, me and God got this relationship that when I talk when I'm not supposed to, he says shut up, okay? And, I, and I'm good with that because I need, I need that in my life from him. I mean, I'll say a bunch of crazy stuff sometimes. He said, Joel, shut up, only believe. And immediately the story popped into my head that day. And I said, I will not say a word. I'm not even going to tell my wife what's all gone down until this is done and passed and the closing is finalized. And I shut my mouth at that moment. I just began to believe and I began to intercede and I began to pray that what the work of the enemy meant for bad, God's fixing to change it and rearrange it and make something good out of it because I'm called according to his purpose. I began to believe. And just as J. Iris looked right there at Jesus, I'm sure grief was about to overtake him. Mourning was about to overtake him like never before. And Jesus said, J. Iris, hush only believe take me to your daughter jesus goes to the daughter the authoritative word of god goes to his daughter and then somebody didn't touch the authoritative word of god in this case the authoritative word of god spoke with peter james and john there and the mother and father and he said child arise everybody was laughing at jesus out in the foyer jesus says she ain't dead she'll be fine no jesus we know these people knew when somebody was dead too i mean they they weren't ignorant folks jesus said get everybody out of this house he said, Jay Iris, you need to keep believing. You've been practicing this law all the days of your life. Now it's time that you believe in the authoritative word of God. There's a difference. You've been practicing your good deeds as a Christian all your life. Now it's time to believe in the authoritative word of God. You've been doing good works all your life. Now it's time to believe in the authoritative word of God. Jesus walks into that room. Peter, James, and John are with him. I call them the big three because they're always with him for some reason. And the mother and father are there. And he looks at this little girl and says, child, arise. I don't think he had to raise his voice. 
I don't think he had to get all crazy like we do when we're trying to conjure up faith. You know, we talk a little louder and scream a little higher. And if we cry a little bit more, it's going to make our faith better. No, you're just stirring up more emotion. (laughs) I don't even believe Jesus raised his voice because he knew the authority he had in God's word because he is the word of God made flesh. He said, child, get up. And she awoke. And Jesus said, feed this baby girl. She hungry. (laughs) Feed her something. Jesus said, just don't tell anybody about this. Don't humiliate everybody out there. Don't make them look silly. She's all right. She's alive. Y'all just realize what God has done. Most of us get upset in life when we're standing and praying and believing Jesus for something and somebody else gets the miracle. When somebody else gets the miracle, we're standing and believing God for a new house or something, Heath. You know, we're just praying that God would touch us and, and God, we just need this and, and we'll use it for the ministry and somebody else who don't even deserve it gets a new house. Or we're praying for this or we're praying for that and somebody else gets the miracle right in front of us. What are you kidding me, Jesus? She's unclean, and I've been serving in the synagogue. In fact, I'm the ruler. What, Jesus? I pastor a church, and they got this? (laughs) What, Jesus? I'm in church every Sunday, and they come once every six weeks, and they get the blessing, right? There's more than enough Jesus to go around, people. The problem is you just blew it because when somebody else got healed, you didn't rejoice with them. See, the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who are mourning. When somebody else got their miracle, you should have been their biggest cheering section. Some of you single ladies wanting to get married, oh, praying for Mr. Perfect, and then so-and-so who don't even go to church finds a good man, and she all of a sudden gets saved, right? Come on. And she's in church every Sunday. You should have been her biggest cheering department. You should have praised God. Finally, she found somebody who's going to keep her in church and keep her right. Right? Come on. Some of you men out there waiting for a lady. God, they're just no good women. I, I'm just, I, all this stuff. And then your best buddy goes and find a girl you had your eye on for a long time. Well, God, I'm in church all the time, and they was just out last night, and they didn't even make it to church this morning. Who knows what they did all night long, right? <laughs> if we're going to get real, let's get real. If we're going to deal with issues, let's deal with it. The fact of the matter is we must begin to rejoice when a miracle begins to take place because God has more than enough miracles for everyone in this room and five times over if we'll just keep standing and believing and praying and watching God do something amazing. There's more than enough Jesus for J. Iris and the woman with the issue of blood. I'm just amazed that when the woman with the issue of blood grabbed the hem of his garment and got healed and she began to testify and tell everybody, I I can't believe 15 other people just didn't run and grab that tassel with her and just begin to put faith in the authoritative word of God. The question is, what are you going to let hinder you from, from seeing him and meeting him? This woman did not let her personal uncleanliness stop her. This woman did not let the crowd stop her from going to see Jesus. This woman did not let the synagogue, the ruler, Jairus, stop her from meeting Jesus. This woman did not let her own personal sin issues, according to the law, keep her from Jesus. Some of you this morning won't receive from Jesus because you think your sin is too much. You think your sin is too great. Well, pastor, if you knew everything I'd done, the church would burn down. I get so tired of hearing that lie. Really, you think your sin is that much bigger than the authoritative word of God. If you'll just put your pride down and say, God, I'm coming just as I am. Jacked up, messed up. Don't let the 12-year lie that this woman believed stop you. This woman believed a lie for 12 years that she could not be healed. And she could not come in public because of her sin issue. Some of you believed a lie a long, longer than 12 years. Some of you have believed a lie like never before, and you can think back to the moment somebody hurt you. Don't let that one issue of your sin stop you from receiving from Jesus Christ. Because remember what I said earlier. 
with the authoritative word of God, with her uncleanliness, when she touched Jesus, it should have made Jesus unclean. But the fact of the matter is just the opposite happened. Because Jesus is more powerful and his blood is more precious than any sin you've ever committed. And so when she and her uncleanliness touched the undefiled word of God in all its authority, it reversed it. It didn't make him unclean, it made her clean. <laughs> it's kind of like when you grab a hold of an electric wire, you're not putting your power into it, it's putting its power into you. <laughs> Let God put his power into you this morning like never before. 